Well, good morning, everyone. Very good to see you all. Thank you, Brandon Grace and your team for uh, leading us in worship today. Um, um, Very good, very fitting uh, for where we're going today as we jump into Mark uh, chapter 4. But before we do that, um, we want to make a few announcements by way of just celebration, really. Um, Our pastor will be back uh, tonight uh, along with um, uh, Seth Wyram and Mike Hogan, our two elders who went to Honduras. Um, And they went and they visited and they uh, met with some village leaders. I think we even have a picture. Picture um, that we can throw up there, Devin. If you uh, if you see that, um, this is um, the three guys on the right are ours. The two guys and the guy taking the picture are World Gospels, uh, and then uh, that little dude there um, is one of the village leaders, pastor, I think maybe. Um, and just um, Brett's text to me was, "This guy is just killing it, just doing a wonderful, wonderful job." And so I know after they visited this village, there was a lot of excitement. Uh, they still had another vis- uh, another village to visit that I haven't quite heard about yet. Um, and then they visited one previous to that. And so now the prayer request is really that we would just find agreement between us and World Gospel on which, on which uh, village to partner up um, for and to sponsor. And so we're going to pray for that, and we know that the Lord's going to give it. But it's just cool to see um, um, what's happening here and what this, might, what this might become in the future, similar to our, uh, <coughs> excuse me, our relationship with what... Um, <laughs> It caught me off guard. Uh, maybe, just, just in case. Um, I'm getting emotional talking about I'm just kidding. I'm not. Um, I will. That's not, I don't mean. It is important to me. <laughs> but I'm not emotional at this point. But I'm sure down the road we'll get there. So anyways, let's move on from that. We'll celebrate with them whenever they get back. We're excited about that. Uh, also, I want to call your attention to the fact that uh, on March 8th, we're going to have our next family meal night. We're looking forward to that, but we're also going to have the opportunity to host Teen Challenge that night. So if you were one of the many who didn't realize that there was an adult gathering following the meal, um, now you know. There is an adult gathering following the meal that'll be in this room, and we're going to host Teen and Adult Challenge. They're going to come and share some uh, just testimony um, and share some just a word to us, and we're excited always to host these guys and to just see what God's doing in their lives. It's a beautiful um, um, way of discipleship that they use um, to bring these guys out of addiction. I mean, it's just remarkable. And so if you hear and if you have it in you, and I, I know you do, please come that night. Share a meal with us and then come and be encouraged by them and also be a part of our encouraging effort to them. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll have that time together. Thank you, Brandon. I think we're good, but th- this, is, this makes me feel comfortable. So I'll put this right here and try not to kick it over. Um, and then lastly, um, just because it is here, we've already kind of celebrated this and talked about it, uh, but this was Brooke's final week as our FB and Tots ministry director, and she's here today. So one last time, can we just give her a hand for everything that she did for that ministry? over the last couple years. And now she spent this last week with her dad and her husband in Honduras. So her dad was part of the World Gospel crew that went. And so I'm sure she's glad to have her family back. All of these, keep these in your minds and hearts um, as we uh, look forward to seeing what God's going to do through, through it all. But for now, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll jump into Mark chapter 4, the very famous parable, the parable uh, of, the, of the sower. So let's pray. Our God, thank you for this time. We're grateful um, for your, um, your kindness, your love, your provision. God, just the stuff that you just shower on us constantly. You just pour yourself onto us and, in, and into us, God. And I'm just so grateful for that, that we have the Holy Spirit, that we have the scriptures, and we have really everything we need 
uh, to stay uh, in tune with you, um, to stay connected to you, to be, to be becoming more and more like you each and every moment. And so I pray that today um, would thrust us further into becoming more like you. And God, that you would use your word, use your Holy Spirit, and use the worship of your people to bring about something beautiful in us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we start, I would just uh, want to go ahead and start by saying, and many of you know this, um, I'm not a great storyteller. Um, I'm really bad at even just repeating jokes that I've heard. Like when it comes to just you know, sharing stories, I'm not, I'm not that good. But it doesn't mean I don't try. I still try far more often than I should. Um, and I've tried with my kids. I've tried with my girls. Uh, there was a season where, um, you know, they sleep in two beds, and I would sit in between them um, or on one of their beds, and they would ask for a story, and so I'd do my best, um, just hoping that maybe something would click. And so almost every time, uh, the story would be related to, you know, Two little girls walking through the forest, and then a villain or a monster comes out of nowhere, and how do they respond? And it was like the same story every single time, but just the villain would change, or the monster would change. And I couldn't get out of the bubble. I don't know what it was, but I was not, well, I wasn't good at it. And so I shared this story over and over again, and they loved it at the start. But then I just, I don't know if it's the pastor in me or what it is, but I just couldn't help but to get... Like, get the story to some kind of teaching moral thing. You know what I mean? I would just share the story, and I would center the story on how the two girls would either, you know, work together or deny each other in the midst of conflict. And then I would say, so you remember, like, earlier today when you did that to your sister. That's what I'm saying in the story. You know, I would try to make it a teaching point um, to some degree. And I noticed that the further I did this, the more I did this night after night, I just noticed that when it came to the teaching point, they just started to check out right? Um, Not only did the stories get pretty boring, but they started to check out whenever I tried to, you know, reveal something about themselves in the thing. And so, like, I just learned through that process that by sharing a story, I could really, like, get a good glimpse into their heart. I could tell if they were tired. I can tell if they were frustrated. I can tell if they were receiving what I had to say, and sometimes they didn't. I can tell if there were other times they just wanted me to shut up, and that was probably the majority, right? I could just tell what was going on in their hearts, and I think Jesus, who was, by the way, a much better storyteller than me, if you didn't know that, way better, in the same way he would present stories to the crowds, to his audience. And through that story and through the sifting that would happen in that, he would know, as if he didn't already, but he would know how they were responding. Through the process of storytelling, he was able to tell the condition of the hearts of those who were receiving the story. He knew if they were going to receive truth, and he knew if they weren't. And in fact, I would say that part of his purpose of sharing parables was to reveal one from the other. And that's going to be Basically, our, our whole design today is we're calling this sermon a, a concerning parable. That there is a concern that I've always had when I read through scriptures like, like these and think that maybe somehow, for some reason, in Jesus' providing of truth to a certain amount of people, that there seem to be always another group of people who become harder to it. When he is light and he is with truth with some, there are other people who just seem to just shut down more and more, and it's concerning. And it's even more concerning to think that maybe Jesus, sometimes the scriptures seem like maybe Jesus even likes this, that that's his intent, is to reveal people who don't care about truth and send them on their way. It's a concern. And so we're going to kind of address that by looking at really 
three sifting, divisive kind of things that happen when Jesus presents truth. One, he discerns hearers from listeners, people who hear with their ears, but their hearts are far from him, right? They don't listen with their hearts. Also, and we'll look at this, the way he discerns between those who see him as a stone or as a rock, and they either trip over him, so he's a stumbling stone for some, or they embrace him where he becomes the cornerstone for some. And these are good questions to ask ourselves, right? Is he your stumbling block or is he your cornerstone? Is he, your, uh, is he someone that you listen to or is he something that you merely hear? And then thirdly, we'll look at just the status of fruitfulness that comes through this. There are those who bear fruit and there are those who don't. And they are all good questions for us. So that's where we're going to be going today in the parable of the sower. I'm going to invite Briar up who's going to read um, verses 1 through 9. And if you are capable, would you stand uh, for the reading of God's word this morning? Mark chapter 4, 1 through 9. Good morning. All right. Again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down, while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. He taught them many things in parables, and in his teachings he said to them, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on the ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Thank you. I can't no, that's okay. That was the point, right? Some people hear with their ears, but they don't listen. So we're going to be centering a lot on that, on that verse. You can have a seat, by the way. Thanks, Briar. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, so that's where we're going to be today. Verse 9 is going to be a central point for us, uh, but also verses 10 uh, through, uh, through 12. Uh, we're going to be looking heavily at that. And so Jesus presented the parable, and you can tell um, already that the parable has to deal with the human heart, our softness or our hardness towards truth. And he defines what he means by, by the seed, right? In verse, um, verse 14, the sower sows the word. Right? This is the seed that he's pouring out. It is the word. It is his word. It is truth. It is truth from, from Jesus. It is the gospel. Right? This is the word. And so keep that in your mind as we, as we talk about this. Now, I also want to say this. Um, we are trying to, to, to look at 20 verses in the matter of two weeks. Okay? So this week, we're looking at verses 1 through 20. Less, next week, we're looking at verses 1 through 20. This week, we're looking at it from an angle of concern. Next week, we'll look at it from an angle of comfort. But we could have spent 15 weeks on this passage. I mean, there's just so much here. And so I want to go ahead and just do this. If you are here and you find yourself craving more, well, we have opportunity for you to join a group where you can join with other people from FBN. You can write your questions down, write your concerns, um, um, and then you can join with other people from FBN and share what you felt during the sermon. Share how the word is speaking to you. It gives, it gives the word that extra chance to become something that you don't just hear, but that you listen to. And so we have those pathways open here at FBN for, for small groups. And so if you're not part of one, uh, we encourage you to become a part of one. Um, you can scan the QR code and the seatbacks around. You can go to our website, go to the Go Deeper section, and right there, there's a, there's a box where you can click join a group, and it's, it's very clear. If you are here and you are in a group, 
Get your notebook out. Write your questions down. Write your concerns down. Write the high points down. And you could take those to your group and you could share those and bounce those off of other spirit-filled Christian people. And it adds to the experience and it gives the word a chance to go one step deeper. It's a good practice. Okay, and so it feels like a lot for us to just cover in two weeks, but we have other opportunities to engage with the word. Also, you've heard of Google, right? YouTube. If you ever feel like we're not providing enough for you, there's a world of enough out there that you can chase down. But the first thing I want to talk about, and the first question for us is simply this, are we hearers or are we listeners? And that's the, that's the statement that Jesus makes uh, in verse 9, let anyone who has hear, uh, ears to hear, let him listen. And you know very well that there's a big difference between hearing and listening. In fact, last night, um, I was texting um, somebody something. I don't remember the context of it all, but I know I was in the text, you know what I mean? And then my daughter came alongside and sat at the table with me, and she just started to talk about, I don't know, I think she twisted her arm on the trampoline or something, you know, so she just kind of had a boo-boo that she was just sharing with me. And so I was just like, yeah, 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 like hearing. And then... She stopped and was like, so what do you think? I was like, what do you mean what I think? And she said, well, I just asked you a question, like, what, what do you think? Weren't you listening to me? And I was like, yeah, I, was, I heard you, but I guess I wasn't listening, you know what I mean? Because like, I heard everything she said, but I, but I missed it completely. And we can treat the word of God this way. We can hear it all. You can go to every sermon that you, you know, you can listen to every, every single source of the word and truth and yet catch none of it. So let me define what the word parable means, and then we'll, we'll build into it. The word parable, it's a compound word in the original language that means, well, it combines two words meaning to cast, like if you're, you know, fishing, um, and then close beside is the other word. So to cast close beside. So if Jesus was teaching a truth, he would often cast aside, uh, cast alongside that truth a parable to help relate it to just kind of real life, to help people understand the truth that he was presenting. In, in its simplest form, it's a teaching aid. A parable is a teaching aid, and it usually included a relatable analogy of some kind. For them, it was like fishing and farming, things that we don't really, that most of us don't really know a ton about. But just in the way that he presented parables, he had more in mind than just kind of cutesy wall decor lines, you know, that we like to throw around. He had more in mind. In fact, um, if you think about the first time that the word parable is used in the book of Mark, you can go back one chapter to chapter 3, looking at verse 23. This is right after the Pharisees and the scribes accused Jesus of conspiring with Satan to cast out demons, as if he is in cahoots with Satan or even Satan himself. And it's a ridiculous accusation. And so Jesus, in verse 23, says he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. And then if you read through chapter 4, there's a lot of parables. And there's more parables down the road. And so it almost seems like because of just the accusation and the rising crowds and the rising hubbub and the rising fame that he needed to to take a different approach, that he started using a different teaching style in some circumstances. And usually there were crowds involved. Usually there were crowds involved. And if you think about crowds, what we know about crowds is that diverse populations bring diverse motives and diverse attitudes. And I would imagine when he's presenting to a crowd that Pharisees and scribes are there, um, probably they're hearing but not listening, really just hearing to accuse but not listening for life change. I would imagine there were there just pe people there just for the sheer entertainment, 
right? Jesus is pretty famous. He's done miracles. Maybe we'll get to see a miracle. The crowds are going. My friends are going. Yeah, we'll, we'll go. It's the event that's happening right now. You think about all of the hearts that Jesus was addressing in a crowd, the cynics and the hopefuls and the distressed and the skeptics and the curious and the offended, the unconvinced and the extremely convinced followers. And it was by way of parables that Jesus was able to sift those with sincere ears to hear from those who listened for lesser intent. And in verse 10, we see this even more when the disciples ask him specifically, why do you preach? Why do you teach in parables? And so this is what we see in verse 10. It says, when he was alone, those around him with the 12, so the 12 plus his uh, other disciples asked him about the parables. And he answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables, so that... They may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. Almost as if Jesus is intentionally like, we don't want them understanding or else they'll be forgiven and we don't want that, right? Now, I think Matthew, he takes what Mark says here and in his his account of the same exact conversation and parable, Matthew adds this and it helps Uh, add to our understanding of everything. Matthew chapter 13, verses 13 through 17. This is what Matthew adds to to the exact thing that we just heard Mark say. Matthew says, this is why I speak to them in parables. This is Jesus talking. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen or understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them. We'll look at this prophecy more next week. Which says, you will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back, and I would heal them. Then he begins to talk to his disciples and he, again, and he says, blessed are your eyes because they do see and your ears because they do hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see the things that you see but didn't see them and to hear the things you hear but didn't hear them. Now, I know there's a lot there, but I hope that you see that there is a contingency here that has to do with the human heart. A callousness of the heart that has eyes and ears shut off to receive or hear anything that Jesus is actually trying to say. And it's almost at a place of disposition, right? That unless God does something in the heart of a person to make them yearn and seek, unless God calls something from within them to have eyes open, unless God removes the spiritual blindness, this is the status of people, calloused, shut off, eyes closed, Even if you're listening to truth, it doesn't mean anything about whether or not your heart's receiving it. And so when Jesus used parables, those who had true and honest ears to hear and hearts to listen, they would seek further, and Jesus would provide them with what they needed. And so even more would be given to them. Those who did not have true and honest ears to hear, even if they were in the crowd, those who had shut the eyes of their hearts then even what they have will be removed from them. And it was all contingent on the honesty and humility of their hearts to receive. And the same is true for us. 
It is contingent upon your heart to receive the truth of Jesus Christ. And so parables themselves, they are a sifting tool that Jesus used not to condemn the callous and perpetuate spiritual blindness. His focus was to shower grace on true listeners and receivers of the word, those of humble and honest hearts to seek and receive truth. But in order for that to be the case, it does mean that there was spiritual blindness that was perpetuated, that there was callousness that was continued. And this is concerning to a degree. And I think it's concerning because Christians, myself included, oftentimes have a very hard time understanding that when light is so bright and so good, how is it that some people can receive it and it makes sense that they would receive it and yet others seem to get more blind as a result and their hearts get more hard as a result. We want everybody to know what we know. We want everybody to have what we have and we're really good at bending the rules to, make, to even make it seem like everybody already does. The Pharisees were a very good example of people who were around light often and yet never received it. I mean, they were around Jesus' teaching often and yet they never received it. The same crowds who Jesus is addressing were allowed, they, they were around truth, they were around light and yet they were the same ones who begged for his, uh, for his crucifixion. How is it that people can be around light, can be around truth, and become more blinded as a result? Jesus is so very good for those who believe in him, but apart from Jesus, things are just eternally worse. The nature of the truth and mystery of Christ is that it will cause others to stumble while it's saving others. This is the position that Jesus puts people in. And by the way, there's nothing else in the world that can put people in such a position as what Jesus is able to do. And that doesn't speak as much about everything else as it does about Jesus. He is primary. He is supreme. There is none other like him. And so when he's in the room, how you respond to him bears a great deal about your eternity because that's how important he is. And in Romans 9, verses 32 and 33, we see we see this in action, uh, directed towards the Jews who did not pursue right, uh, truth by faith, but as if it were by works. And then it says, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, look, I am putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over, and the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. So for some, they're going to trip right over him while others believe on him and are, and are saved. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, it says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. In Mark chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, Jesus says, Haven't you read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. This is remarkable. It's concerning, but for all the wrong reasons, Right? We should be concerned for, for those who are stumbling, praying and hoping and, and, and reaching so that those who don't see Christ as, as their cornerstone might. But currently, right now, they're rejecting the stone. They're tripping over Jesus. And I think a lot of people prefer to kind of get lost in this 
forever debate of just, you know, debating the stone's purpose. You know, does jo- to, is Jesus' primary purpose to, you know, to reveal those who are going to trip over him, or is it to be the rock of salvation? And, you know, there's just so much, like, blurry, messy stuff that can be involved in that conversation. But it's not really the point, is it? The reality is simply this, and it's the nature of Jesus, that Jesus is both supremely holy and he is the most pivotal, game-changing, altering, altering entity in the entire universe. And if you receive him, then you receive the fullness of life and eternity. And if you reject him, and if you refuse him, you invite the same measure of death and emptiness forever. When Jesus walks in a room, this is where people's minds need to go and hearts need to go. This is the tension that people are put in. And only Jesus is the one who can put people in such attention. And it's not because he takes delight in the blindness of others. It's because he takes immense delight in those who receive joy, those who receive truth, those who receive his word. It just depends on the state of the heart to receive it. It depends on the state of your heart to receive truth. For those who do receive it, they're going to crave it and find more. For those who reject it, their blindness and their hardness increases. I heard a pastor one time talk about how, you know, the, hard, the hardness of hearts, right? Where is the hardest hearts that you're going to find in the world? He said, well, look at your church. Because those are the people who have the chance to be the hardest of all people because they have the chance week in and week out to hear truth and hear truth and not respond, And that's not a neutral position. That is a hardening position. To hear truth and not respond, that's Pharaohism, right? To see God work and then to not respond with humility and submission, that is callousing. That hardens the heart. It depends on the state of your heart, how you treat the truth of Jesus Christ. Do you receive it or do you reject it? And your answer to that has eternal consequences, positive or negative. Now, for those of you who have received it, who at least have heard it, there's another layer that happens to determine whether or not you're going to bear fruit in it or not. There's plenty of people who have heard the truth, maybe even accepted the truth, and yet they are fruitless in their walk with the Lord. And that's what Jesus goes on to explain in his explanation of the parable. And so let's read verse 13 through 20. By the way, we're going to examine this deeper next week, but for today we're going to kind of survey it and then look at this fruitless and fruitful um, um, nature of the seed that is planted. Verse 13, then he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the other parables? The sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no roots. They are short-lived. And when distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like the seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word. But the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those like seeds sown on the ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. And that's the seed planted on on the good ground, soft and tender ground. 
Now, like I said, next week we're going to dive deeper into this explanation. But for now, if we look at those types of ground, that type of soil in the heart, the hardness and, and the softness of it, what I want us to notice today is that if you are here we're anywhere and you hear the word of truth, that there is a world of things against you. There's a world of things that, that their sole purpose is to rob you of the truth that you have heard. And the first on the list is the most sobering. It's Satan. Like his name is used. That when you hear the word, that the birds of Satan are quick to come and pluck it out if it lands on hard soil. And it's an always just a sobering fact to remember that the birds of Satan are everywhere. There is not a place in all of creation where his influence has not reached. And anything that seeks to defame or um, minimize our Jesus has its origins in more than just human. Human, human origins. It has its origins in, in the birds of Satan, in his evil influence. And we can't be, you know, ignorant of this fact. But it is very easy for Christians to try to just escape that fact and just not think about the realities of spiritual warfare and the realities of what Satan wants to do in the hearts of people, which is keep truth from going anywhere deeper. The second thing that we see against anybody who hears the word of truth is distress. And he says it's not just distress, but distress, but it is persecution. It is distress because of the word. Not distress that you've just brought on your own life, but it has, you know, no consequence on anything. It's, it's distress specifically because you love truth, because you have received truth with joy. And as soon as it becomes real, then you drift away just as fast as you drifted in. I associate this with people who love Christian culture but hate and refuse Christian cost. They love the teen camps and the radio stations and the family friendliness of it all, but as soon as you tell them to give up anything for Jesus, as soon as you tell them to upset anything in their lives for his name, then they start losing faith. They lose excitement and they drift away as fast as they drifted in. The third thing that's working against anybody who hears the word of truth is this. It's his list in verse 20, uh, sorry, verse 19. The worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things. In a word, the world. If you love the wealth of the world and the desires that the world provides, if you love these things, and by the way, the world is the cause of worry as well. This is the impact of the world that it will grow with the seed. And at the end of the day, the seeds that are sown of the world are always going to choke out the seeds of truth. This is why Jesus said you can't serve two masters because one's going to take the hit more than the other one. Undivided, uh, a divided devotion just bears no fruits. And I would say this is where most of Western Christianity is, or at least many of us. This is my greatest struggle, and maybe it's yours too, that we are constantly in that John tension. You know how John just says over and over again, those who love the world don't love God, or those who love God don't love the world. We are in that tension because we are a worrisome, wealthy people. And we love chasing desires that aren't of Christ. We love chasing everything else. 
And the heartbreak of it all is that there are people who go to church and they do everything. They, they walk the path. They, 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 fit, you know, they do all the motions. And yet they are bearing zero fruit. There's no fruit coming out of their lives. They think their church activity is their fruit. It's not their fruit. So what is fruit? It's helpful for us to define this as we begin to close today. This is spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit is the compounding effect of the Spirit of God unhindered. The compound effect of the Spirit of God unhindered. And I, I, I pull that from two different sources. First of all, what Jesus says right here. Right? He, he talks about the compounding um, effect of fruit. 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. It's, it grows. And it grows whenever the Spirit of God is unhindered in people's lives. And when the Spirit is unhindered and when we walk by the Spirit, then we bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is spoken clearly in Galatians chapter 5, verses 23 to 25. And this is what we read. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now I don't think the point of this list is to just itemize each one of those and then for all of us to do, you know, be like, well, Today, I'm going to be a more loving person. Tomorrow, I'm going to be a more peaceful person. This isn't something that we can muster or create in and ourselves. This is the outcome of abiding in Jesus Christ. And as we abide in Jesus Christ, we become more like Jesus Christ. And we begin to wear his character and wear his attitude. What is Christ's character? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. The fruits of the Spirit are the character traits of Jesus Christ. And we become these things as we abide in Jesus. This is fruit bearing. Not only do we become like Jesus, we share Jesus with other people. We share Jesus because Christ is increasingly becoming in us. And so we share his hope and his grace and his truth to the world around us like Jesus did. Becoming like Christ, becoming, and sharing Christ, sharing. This is spiritual fruit. This is the fruit of following after Christ. And we're going to talk about this more next week, but today, in the spirit of addressing concerns, in the spirit of addressing concerns about this passage, there is another concern to mention today, and in my mind, it leads the pack. And it's the concern that God's own people might be so bound by their own routines and their own habits and their own distractions that they are in the practice of hearing with their ears but not with their hearts. And so they come to church and they're busybodies and they do lots of good Christian things but the fruit of their lives when it comes to becoming like Christ and sharing Christ with others, it's stagnant and it's choked down. And so the simple question today really is this. Do we actually have ears to hear? Do you actually have ears to hear? Are your hearts open right now? When you're in church, are your hearts open? Or are you fussing with your kids and fussing with your phone and thinking about all the changes that are happening and, and thinking about that stressful thing that happened like, you know, two days ago? Are you lost? Are you hearing but not listening? Or do you have hearts ready to receive? When you're at home, do you create margin for your family to hear from the Lord together? Is there any softness being cultivated in your home to the word and truth of God? In your own personal walk with the Lord, do you create margin for time to be still and listen to what God might want to share with you? 
I think it's just a total plague in the Western church that we have so much opportunity and it is so hard for us to keep it from becoming idolatry, distracting, chaos and congestion to the point where Christians and and churches feel trapped. They feel enslaved. They feel like there's no other way. And so the only other way is to embrace it and even wear this badge of honor. And you've talked to those Christians who are like, hey, how's it going so-and-so? And they're like, oh, it's going so good. I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I don't have any time for this. And, you know, life's just crazy right now. It's just, and it's like, this is the way. This is what we accept as Christianity. Things are going good. I don't have any time to catch a breath and that's good. Like, that's, that's it. Almost like if busybodying and multitasking and constant activity are core biblical values, and they're not. It's fruitless. There is no becoming. There is no sharing. There is no gospel impact. And so some simple questions to help us just kind of find ourselves in this. When was the last time we told someone about Jesus? We just told them about Jesus. Invited someone to church. Prayed overtly for the salvation of a neighbor or friend by name. When was the last time we pruned something that was congesting and distracting in our lives? The last time we took a deliberate stand against all-consuming schedules and activities? The last time we violently prayed against pride in our lives? The last time we begged Jesus desperately to help us become more like him? The last time we had any stillness enough to hear from the Lord. Where are our hearts today? What is working against us, keeping us from bearing fruit, touting around Jesus' name but bearing no fruit in his name? Are we desperate at all for the Lord to make us more like him? Do we yearn for his seeds of truth and do we make room for them? And are our hearts ready to receive them? These are the questions I want us to consider as we just close in worship today. And you need to know, like, right before this time, I prayed, it was just like, God, I have nothing and I am nothing, which is why I rephrase all of these questions and say, we and us and our, because I'm right here with you. I need this. I need these questions. I need this correction. I need this conviction. And so I'm preaching to myself just like I, just like I am to you. But the point is this, like if, if we just get swept up in the routines and just the, the cool busyness of Christianity and, like, and we never give the Lord a moment to actually let any truth that's landing on our hearts go any, any deeper, then, then it's a losing battle every time. Satan's birds are going to pluck it away. The world is going to win that fight. There's just, that's just what it is. And so I do pray that today, you and I both, we would think and consider deeply about our lives and what room God actually really does have to do something unique in us, to move in us, to speak to us. And for any of you who have no room, it's not a neutral position, it's a hardening position. And I hope that today you would end the hardening of your own hearts and respond to him as you should and as we all should. And so let's pray, and then we're going to sing. And during all of it, I don't have a list of things for you to think about or anything like that. It's just the prayer of your own heart, asking God to soften your heart, tenderize you to his truth. So let's pray together. God, would you soften our hearts, tenderize our hearts to your truth, use your Holy Spirit uh, to, to stir the ground. 
Father, to till it up. And for many of us, that's going to be a very uncomfortable position to be in because none of us like to be tampered with in our hearts. And we, we don't like it from other people, and we certainly don't like it from you sometimes. And yet you know intrinsically where we're at and what we're going through. And you are the only one who can change anything in there. So God, for each of us, wherever we're at with you, would you give us humility? Would you give us surrender? Would you give us stillness? Would you give us every single thing that we need so that you can stir and that you can plant and that you can grow exactly what you have in mind? And we know that it'll all be from your word, from, from your son, from your, from your Holy Spirit, God. And we just pray, pray that you would soften us to your truth and that we'd respond to it correctly. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Stand and sing. I am. Weak.